going to play an absolute classic. We're going to play The Price is Right. Okay, so I'm going to give you three different things, and together you're going to guess the price. There's not going to be any questions, what does it include this, what about delivery, all of that. Just feel free to shout out, and we'll do a bit of higher or lower. So number one, we have released this month the Volvo XC40 SUV. There isn't one waiting outside for the winner, just so you know. But start throwing out prices. What do we think? £68,000. Higher or lower, everyone? Higher or lower? Higher? Lower? A few more answers. What are we thinking? 68. 35? 41? I can tell you the price. It's a bargain. £20,000. Who would have thought it? Okay. On to the next one. I'm having fun. I'm excited. The iPhone X, 256 gigabytes, just for the handset. 999. That's close. Higher or lower than 999. The price I've seen, and it is for the 256 gig, 1,149 pounds. Wow. Pricey. Pricey. Finally, the most valuable of them all, the combined cost on eBay of the TLG and Cap story. How much? Higher or lower than £1,000? They're both great reads. They're not signed. No, they're not signed. What do we think? Priceless. £12? Wow. I can confirm it is four. Pounds, 69 pence. I won't tell you what one was more expensive. It was the TLG one. <laughs> now, the point is with all of this, we've got to have the next slide, is that everything has a price. We're bombarded with prices every single day. Everything has a cost. And we're told that we need more and more. We need to accumulate more and more. And we live in a world that is increasingly motivated by money and greed. It seems to fuel society. Recent research by Oxfam shows that there are eight people in the world that have the same amount of wealth as the other half of the world's population. Billions and billions of people. Their wealth equals the same as just eight people. We see it in sport. The footballer Neymar earns £53 for every minute. He would have a small fortune by the time I'm finished today. And you know, we can feel like this money-mad world that we see, it's a new phenomenon. But actually, it's something that has existed for a long time. It's something that the Bible really speaks into. The book of Luke One out of every seven verses is about money. It is an issue that the gospel writers really wanted to speak about. And we see it throughout the whole story of the Bible. We see it after creation. We see Adam and his greed led led to his fall. We see it in Solomon's downward spiral. We see it in Jacob. We see it in David's lust. 
there is this greed in man that has gone through the whole biblical narrative throughout the creation, throughout the fall. But the good news is, is that we see the redemption and the renewal in Jesus. He comes in to this world and gives a fresh perspective on greed, on money. Jesus is at the centre. And my hope for today is that we put Jesus at the centre of fresh in the way that we see greed in society, the way that we may maybe see it in ourselves, the way we see money. I want us to put Jesus at the centre of that. I was looking at definitions of greed. It's an interesting thing. It's often around the intense and selfish desire for something. It can be highly highly subjective because what does excessive mean? It can mean different things to different people. How much is enough? How much is too much? As we look at the gospel for the greedy, I want to be really clear that as I communicate this, I don't think this is just an issue for those that have wealth. I think greed can be seen in lots of different areas in society. I think sometimes in normal communities, we can be very complacent. We can see that greed is only something we'll have to really handle once we become rich or if we become rich. But I think it can be an issue in the way that we not just handle our money, but our time, the way we chase recognition, We chase praise, we chase attention. Greed can fester. When Paul wrote to the the church in Colossians, just an average church, an average community, but he was talking about how greed can really amount to idolatry. It can take the place of God. Greed is a problem in that culture. It's a problem in our culture today. In the New Testament Greek, the word for greed is known as pleonexia. It means to have more. The desire to have more things in an attempt to satisfy ourselves. You know, we live in a world that tells us that our priorities should be us. It should be our own satisfaction. And this wasn't dissimilar to Roman society. The Roman world, in, um, in the time that the, gospel of, um, the Gospels were written, was characterized by greed, by the accumulation of power. There was a vast system of business fueled by trade across the world, fueled by slave labor and enforced taxation. And a big symbol of this regime was the tax collectors. Now, the tax collectors were really hated in Roman society, for many different reasons. Just to mention a few. Now, not many people love paying tax. It was similar back in this day. But especially to a government that is oppressive, like the Roman um, regime was. In first century times, tax collectors were a symbol of this government on the ground. They bore the brunt of the public displeasure. Secondly, they were often Jews. They were Jews working for the Roman authorities. They were seen as traitors. They were seen as traitors to their countrymen. Rather than fighting the oppression, they were fueling it. 
Third, it was common knowledge that the tax collectors, they took more than they needed. They cheated the people and they took the profit for themselves. And finally, because of this corruption, because of this greed, they were rich beyond their means. They were separated from the lower classes. Tax collectors were ostracized in society. This would have fled throughout many different areas of their lives, but especially in a religious context. They wouldn't have been allowed to have entered synagogues to worship in the temples to bring forward sacrifices. The world, the Jewish world, hated the tax collectors. I think Jesus comes into this story and speaks truth and love in an amazing way. So I just thought that the first passage we would look at, it would be great to see the contrast to how the world, how the Jewish world interacted with the tax collectors, and then look at Jesus' approach and how we see a difference. If we could have the next slide, please. So there are two examples where in the Gospel of Luke, where we're engaging with tax collectors. The first of all is in Levi. It says this, But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect, they complained to his disciples, Why do they eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And secondly, later on in Luke, about Zacchaeus, all the people saw this and began to mutter, He is gone to be the guest of a sinner. It's talking about how Jesus wanted to engage with these people, wanted to draw them in, wanted to speak into their lives. We see Jesus' approach next. We see an approach about inclusion, about, about love, offering them more than what they had in their greed and in their money. To Levi in... Um, in Luke 5:31, Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's a really famous passage. We see it on a lot of our fridges. Jesus, though, he had space for Levi. He had space for Levi to the point that Levi became a disciple. Levi being his Hebrew name. He's often more commonly known by his Greek name, Matthew. He came to write a gospel, the name Levi itself, it means pledged, means attached. Jesus made the choice to attach himself to Levi when no one else would. He saw the greed and he made a difference. To Zacchaeus, Jesus is now, he's, he's well on his way through his ministry And a big group surrounds him. Zacchaeus climbs to the top of a sycamore tree, hoping to see Jesus. Jesus seeks out Zacchaeus amongst the crowd, amongst his followers, amongst the Pharisees, and focuses on the one. He invites himself round to Zacchaeus for lunch, and he makes that time. The world responded in gossip, in doubting Jesus' intentions. Whereas Jesus saw both Levi and Zacchaeus as children of God. He saw them in love. He saw through the riches. And he said, I have so much more than this. He changed the course of their future. No longer would they live a life led by their greed. 
but led by Jesus. Because money was no longer their motivation. It was no longer the greed that was leading them. Next slide, please. One more. No problem. Well, it is a great passage. It is Luke 12, verse 13. And I'm going to read it out. And this is where we're going to focus um, for a bit. It says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man who appointed me, who appointed me to judge or be an arbiter between you. Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. First of all, we've seen how Jesus speaks in to greed, saying that there is something more, there is treasure in me. And I think this is a really interesting story in the, um, the journey of the Gospel of Luke, where Jesus really puts the focus on this son's anger, this son's greed. Now, he was um, angry that the firstborn, his older brother, was going to receive double the inheritance that he felt he was owed. His older brother would be the head of the family. He would have got the majority of the wealth. And this brother is fuming. He would have broken down his relationship with his brother, probably his family. Jesus uses this as a really teachable moment about greed. Because the man's desire is for wealth, it is for possessions, it is to the point where he orders Jesus, the Son of God, really bluntly to say, what are you going to do about it? You need to take action. I love how Jesus just comes back so quickly. That We need to be aware of all kinds of greed. Greed takes many different forms. There are many examples. All kinds of greed can come in the way of our relationship with Jesus. He says in Luke 12, 15, because a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. This was an important challenge for the first century disciples in the way they just saw life, they saw the simplicity that they were living in. It's a challenge to the first century. It is a challenge to the 21st century. I think it speaks a lot of relevance to us today as it did back then. Because success in our culture can so often 
be, be in terms of, of quantity, that we need to have more, that we need more wealth, more salary, more possessions. We're trained in society to strive, to put our value in what we have in this world. But I think the challenge that Jesus brings to us here is that when we're striving for that, we're settling for so much less, so much less than what we could have in Jesus. There is something more. Now, a friend of mine, he helps lead an organization called Something More, which seeks to speak this into culture, that in society, motivated by ourselves, by our greed, by our own satisfaction. There is something more than that. Jesus has something to say into our culture. We see later on in this story, Jesus share a parable to once again further illustrate his message. Parables are seen throughout Luke and have such an amazing effect. In this one, this is something that I remember growing up at, um, growing up at church, the imagery of the man storing his surplus grain in the barns, building bigger barns to keep it for himself. And he brings us such a challenge there because it's missing the point, the treasure the man keeps for himself. He doesn't want to share it. He's not interested in the impact, the good that it could have. It's all for himself to multiply what he has. In the ESV, especially, um, this parable closes with a huge challenge where Jesus says the fool is the one who lays up the treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. When the world tells us to grab more, I think sometimes we can forget what is already in our hands to give out, to serve others, to serve his kingdom. Thomas Fuller put it like this. He said, he is not poor that has too much, but he that craves too much. If we're living in greed, it restricts us to just live a life that is small, that is closed-handed for ourselves. It leads us to not be completely content with what we have, with what Jesus has blessed us with. I came across this story that I really loved. It tells this point, I think, kind of really helpfully. It goes like this. There was a rich, there was a rich man from the city who was horrified as he was walking through a nearby village and lake. And he saw a fisherman lying leisurely beside his boat. The rich man asked, why aren't you fishing? What are you doing? The fisherman replied, I've caught enough fish for today. Why don't you catch even more, he said. But what would I do with those other fish? Well, in response, the rich man says, well, you could earn more money. With that, you could buy a motor for your boat. You could go into deeper waters. That would help you catch more fish. Then you would not make enough money to buy a better net to hold them all. And then you would be able to uh, bring even more fish, get more money. 
soon you would have enough money to buy two boats. You could get a whole fleet of boats. You could grow and grow and grow. And the fishermen said, well, what would I do then? And the rich man was bemused. He said, well, then you could really enjoy your life. And the fisherman just said, well, what do you think I'm doing right now? Greed isn't in the possession of things. It's when those things and the pursuit of even more things, it possesses us. It leads us astray. The man had what he needed. And we have all that we need in Jesus. We have the limitless resource of the Holy Spirit. And we need to keep our trust in him. Where is our treasure today? Where are we putting our treasure into? If it is in our possessions, I think we can make a big mistake. I've learned this myself time and time again over the last month. Our possessions have limits. I thought I'd share a few of those lessons. I've learned, ladies and gentlemen, that if you trap your phone in a door, it can break. Really annoying. I've learned that if you leave your debit card in a train station, it doesn't come back to your wallet. It just doesn't. I even learned in the last week the absolute importance of checking that your handbrake is properly on when you're on a slight hill on your road because it can roll forward and hit a wall. I was very fortunate. I've got some great neighbours and no one was hurt in the process. Possessions and money, they come and they go. It's a resource with a limit. It doesn't mean that we should be careless, of course. It doesn't mean that we should be frivolous with what we have. But we need to get our priorities right. They can't become the master. In Luke 12, 34, it talks about how treasure is in what we value most. It says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's that point around the fact that our treasure is in heaven. When we have a relationship with Jesus, we have a greater treasure than this world offers. We have a different future. We have a treasure that counts. We have a constant that we can trust in. And throughout the Bible, we see the way that God shows up to people who put their trust in him. Now, the result isn't always pretty. It doesn't mean that their bank accounts get boosted. It doesn't mean that there won't be struggle, that things will be easy. But time and time again, it shows it is the way that truly works. We need to make sure we choose the right master. In Luke 16, verse 13, it says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It's important that it says it cannot, not it should not. It would be good if you maybe didn't not. You cannot serve both. I loved what John said a few weeks ago about how social media, it can be a great servant, but it is a terrible master. I think it's very similar 
here. When money and God are put in, in parallel in this, uh, in this passage in Luke 16. It's the tendency that it can become an idol for us. That we can become focused on what we need to have in this world. Focused on all that that could bring to us. Rather than all that we have and stand to have in Jesus. Andy Stanley says that greed is not a financial issue. It is a heart issue. It's in the heart. I wonder today, has greed crept in to our hearts? Do we feel like our treasure has been in the wrong place? Are we living for the wrong master? Where in our lives has maybe greed held us back from giving out? I believe that Jesus is saying unto us that we need to keep our trust in him. Because greed, it makes us look inward. Through Jesus, we can look upwards. We can see a loving father who has so much more for us, more than we can imagine. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for the freedom that we find in relationship with you. Thank you, Lord, that you offer us something more, something more than the world. And I pray, Lord, that we would be set apart from the message that we just need more and more things. I pray, Lord, that we would chase the different path, that we need more and more of you. That would be our motivation, Lord. So would you help us Would you give us boldness by your spirit, Lord, we pray. Amen.